I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers. And we will go mm-hmm. into detail about the topics we discuss, so if you haven't read, listened to, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Like in 45 minutes later. <laughs> this time around, we've got Boys from Hell, Writers, What Are Ghosts, Invasions, What Are Secret, Crises, What Are Final, The Scion of Apocalypse. We'll keep the rain off with some Umbrella Academy, a big bag of Comic-Con goodies, and a little bit of love for you, the major spoilers, faithful spoilerites. So dust off the banjo, clean out the barn, and call me MC Bouncing Boy, because we about to lay some knowledge on you, sucker! <laughs> Say what? West Saeed! Or Dark Side. Dark Side. <laughs> he spells it differently now. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of gathered that. Uh, so, one of the big movies last week. We are in the middle of this huge movie, movie spectacular season. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to see all of the big blockbuster movies this this summer, except for Speed Racer and Narnia. I didn't see those two, yeah. but I did go see Hellboy last week, and eh, you know, it's not it's, as good as the first one. Yeah. Personally, I didn't like it as good as the first one, and for for a couple of reasons. Uh, the characters were there, the story was interesting, the special effects were good, but for some reason it just felt like Men in Black, for whatever reason. And all throughout the movie, I was like, okay, this is enjoyable, I see what's going on, yes, that's neat, I like Abe Sapien and Hellboy getting drunk, great scene there if you, if you have already seen it, if you haven't seen it, that's one reason to go and see it. But then I was kind of making that comment up on the, uh, the major spoiler site, and uh, Jen wrote in and said, I agree with you about the Men on Black vibe, I didn't particularly like that the BPRP was made out to be a secret organization to begin with, but I'm willing to go with it. Here's the reason why it felt so men in black with me. In the background, there's all of these monster bits, all of these. Mm-hmm. It felt like in men in black with all these aliens going on in the mm-hmm. background. The second thing that tied it into me that Jin points out is that Danny Elfman was the composer of the flick and oh, on men in black. That'll do it. And the music is very much the same. And I like Danny Elfman a lot. Mm-hmm. But soon as Jin pointed that out to me, I was like, that's why. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So if I if we had a 10 scale. This one would get a six. Mm-hmm. It's Wait, good. What song did he use? No, no, he didn't use songs from the Men in Black. He was the composer oh. on both Men in Black and Hellboy right. Two. But Danny Elfman has two songs. He has. He probably used both of them. Yeah, yeah. Didn't uh, Elfman also do? Isn't he the composer for Simpsons? He, I think, uh, yeah, I think he wrote the so, Simpsons yeah. theme, and I think he he did. Did he do Nightmare Before Christmas? Yeah, probably. And yeah, um, Edward Scissorhands, I think. Touched has his, his music on it. Uh, so, uh, Hellboy, go up to the website, throw your thoughts out, go over to the forum. There's a good discussion that uh, I think Hermit started on on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so go check that out. And the forums are really going, uh, so do check that out. Uh, Matthew had the triumphant return this week from his I'm, little bout I'm, with I'm, tendinitis. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only did we get a Quizlet hero history, yeah, Quizlet, but we got a Inferno hero history, and I think she's one of my more favorite characters. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Great, she's one of the great anti-hero types, and you don't see a lot of that with the Legion, especially the Silver Age Legion. But Inferno was one where I actually agonized over whether she was a Legionnaire or not. Well, she was. I mean, she was in in the Archie Legion. She never really joined. She, she had was the stranded. ring. She was a member of the workforce who was stranded in the past. And while they were in the past, they gave her the ring. And I think they took the ring from I think she Con threw. L. Oh, okay. Con L, the, uh, the modern age Tom Welling. 
And, um, but it was, I mean, it was one of those things where I, I finally made the decision based and like I said in the post, she felt like a legionnaire. She felt like somebody who belonged. Yeah. I thought, I thought great write up. And I think a lot of people write Mm -hmm. like that. And I think a lot of people are surprised that we got two hero histories in one week, especially with Quizlet. As Rodrigo's been talking about him for weeks and months now, about that little alien spaceship guy. I was just really curious. And it turns out that he's even more complex than I thought. I thought basically he was just comic relief, but they gave him a very complex power set. And, you know, I'm I'm, I'm into it. 30 seconds or or less, Matthew. Tell us, what is the deal with Quizlet? Quizlet in 30 seconds or less. Quizlet is an alien being from another dimension called Teal who came to Earth in a spaceship initially indicating that he was their first astronaut. We later find out that he was a political dissident who actually uh, started thinking for himself, whereas most of the Telians have a hive mind. He stole the ship and came to Earth to escape the oppression of his people and then joined the Legion for fun. Cool. Check him out up on Majorspoilers.com. Now, Rodrigo and I, I've been watching this thing all day. Rodrigo watched it, most of it before the show began. Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. If you are a Joss Whedon fan, if you loved Buffy the Musical, and I've got that soundtrack floating around here somewhere. I think I've got it in multiple copies, CD and iTunes. I just love what Joss and crew do with musicals, and the latest one is a superhero take. It's got Neil Patrick Harris in it as as Dr. Horrible. It's got Nathan Fillion Fillion from... uh, um, What's that one show that was canceled? Firefly. Firefly mm. as uh, as Captain Hammer. It's three parts. It's being released all this week. Uh, today, Tuesday, uh, the 17th and the 20th, I believe, on streaming up at DrHorrible.com, where you can find it on uh, iTunes for like four bucks for all three episodes. I just think it's great. I don't know. Matthew, did you get a chance to see it? I just saw it before we started this, and I'm looking at that, and I'm like... Why is Barney wearing goggles? <laughs> <laughs> it starts but, out, fr- you know, honestly, it starts out down. with this is his video blog, Dr. Horrible's video blog. And he's sitting there looking very much maybe like uh, Ask a Ninja Might Be or something like that. And I was like, okay, this is going to be really boring if this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, musical. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't quite get all the way through it. And not not because I didn't like it. It's because I ran out of time and possibly bit rate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But you know, I, I, like the songs start up and they're they're catchy, yeah. And that's that's what I look for in a musical, and it's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. I am not not a huge Joss Whedon fan by any means. Really? Nah, I don't. Nah, I don't really like it too much. But you know, I remember watching the Buffy musical and saying, "This is awesome. This yeah. is good stuff. It makes a lot of sense." And this, you know, this could be great. I can't wait for the other two issues. I like the Bad Horse song, <laughs> Matthew. Yes. Did you make it all the way through? What are your thoughts? On? Everything. Oh. Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. One well, week I, only. I, did, I didn't get a chance to actually play it yet. Oh, I, just well, I thought you, said you, like, uh, I thought you uh, watched it. That's what you were saying. Based, okay. on the, based on the people involved, the fact that it's got you know Barney and Joss Whedon, I'm in. So I'm going to look at it as soon as we're done here because it would be rude to do it during the podcast. And I'm not doing it right now. You can't tell. Well, something that, uh, something that we... Uh, won't be seeing for a while is the red Sonia movie. Mm. It will be Robert Rodriguez and um, Rose McGowan. 
Grindhouse too. She's gonna she's gonna have a claymore instead of a uh, (laughs) machine instead of a machine gun. (laughs) This time she's gonna have claymores for both legs, so she can do real scissor kicks. Yeah. Thoughts on thoughts on that? I I just don't see Rose McGowan as she's too um, dainty. Well, I was gonna say pasty, and I don't want to say she doesn't have a a hard body, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of it's. It's, it's a it's it, a it tone looks, body, it looks but it's delicious. Yeah, but it's not something that you would expect <laughs> a, 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 a she devil with a sword to have. Yeah, she's more she's more voluptuous than I picture Red Sonia. I picture Red Sonia as more with a a muscular kind of a you know Lita from the WWE physique. Mm, but yeah. Rose Rose McGowan feels kind of like you know your ex girlfriend or the girl who feature dances at scores kind of body. That doesn't mean they can't you know they can't do something with it. And True. I think she. Having seen her on Charmed, she has more acting chops mm-hmm. than people give her credit for. Oh, yeah. So she can do weird stuff. I'm just concerned about Red Sonia's backstory. Well, and as we talked with um, with Mark Finn last episode, uh, this is definitely not going to be the Robert E. Howard uh, Red Sonia. This is going to be the uh, the Taylor version of, mm-hmm. of Red Sonia, the one that we currently see in Dynamite uh, Entertainment's comic line. Mm-hmm. But if you're familiar with her backstory, her backstory is that she was, um, I'm not sure if she was actually abused by a a group of men when she was a kid, but she grew up to become the greatest warrior, and she says she will only give herself to the man who can beat her in combat. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here and thinking, wow, that's got to be really screwed up. But you know, I, I doubt don't that they probably things. won't uh, do that in the movie. They'll probably See, it'll I, be a it'll be a big slash fest, low budget green screen thing hmm. that chopping people up. It, I'll we'll we'll wait and see what happens. Yeah. Hey, now for the moment everybody's been waiting for. Who wants Done. to win a Dark Knight Two statue? I do. I do. All right. Here's what everybody has to do. If you haven't, it's up on the website. We'll be reposting it throughout the th- the coming weeks. What you want to do is go over to the website. There is the Major Spoilers poster, the one that has the two superhero guys with We Know That You Love Comics and We Do Too, Major Spoilers. What you need to do is you need to print that out. It'll fit on an 8.5 by 11. Mm-hmm. It looks really good on glossy paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we want you to do is take that mini poster and get your picture taken holding that poster up with one of the following three. Go down to your local comic shop or any comic shop, really. Get your picture with the with the manager, okay? Holding up that poster. Get the comic shop in the background. That's one option. That's probably the easiest since everybody is always, if you're visiting the site and listening to the podcast, you're probably reading comics. So you probably have a comic shop. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, you could get it your picture taken with someone famous holding up the mini poster. Now, uh, coming up this weekend is, or next weekend is the uh, uh, San Diego comic convention. Great opportunity to get your picture taken with some famous celebrities, playboy playmates, comic book artists, writers, whoever, somebody famous. Find Mark Wade. Yeah. Find find Mark Wade. Famous includes somebody that I've heard of. Yes, Ooh. not not your local theater guy <laughs> in your small town he, that or nobody's guy, ever heard of. The guy who played extra number three in that episode of Firefly and got kicked through an engine. Right. I, somebody, you know, somebody that you can say, hey, it's that guy. Even if I don't know the name, you can say, oh, he played Breed Bandicamp's ex-husband on Desperate Housewives. Let me give you some examples. Jackie Chan would be a good celebrity. Mm-hmm. Mark Wade would be a good celebrity. 
Um, who else? Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris would be an awesome celebrity, although I'm afraid you probably wouldn't get your picture taken because he'd just make the whole thing explode. Yeah, so it wouldn't s- come out. Somebody famous. Now, the third option is more of just a fun kind of thing that we just threw in there. Get your picture taken with a hot guy or a hot girl mm-hmm. in their bathing suit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And if you can combine option B and option C, more's the better. <laughs> so all you have to do is get your picture taken with these people holding up the major spoilers mini poster. One of three. Doesn't have to be all three. One of those three people. However, if you can do all three, that would be even more That awesome. would be if pretty you, cool. I, I would recommend that you find your local comic book guy and then go find Howard Stern. There you go. Because he's bound to have a girl in a bikini stashed around someplace. There you go. So then oh. it's like boom, 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 all three criteria right there. Now, what we don't want you to do is Photoshop. Mm. That would be cheating, and we don't want to do this. This is a great statue. This is from 2001. It's a limited edition. It's easily 200 bucks. Okay? Yikes. So this is a this is a grand prize for all you Frank Miller fans out there. Mm-hmm. What you need to do is send that image to us. Send it to podcast at majorspoilers.com. Get it to us by August 31st. I'm going to pimp this up until then. And then <laughs> on our September 2nd show, we will draw from everybody who entered. And please enter. That's what we want. We don't want just some schmo to enter yeah. and win. That would be kind of defeating. Remember the Major Spoilers costume contest we had last October? We had that like, was awesome. Then the site was hardly known, and we had something like 40 people enter that contest. Mm-hmm. People, you can enter this contest. Oh, yeah. It's going to take a little work, sure, but you got this grand prize just waiting for you. It is, this time, instead of just being U.S. residents, I'm opening the contest up to residents in North America. That includes our friends up north in Canada, the United States of America, and Mexico. And Cuba, I suppose, if we can ship stuff there, but I don't think we can. Puerto Rico? Puerto Rico, well, that's technically still part of the united states mm. virgin islands u.s virgin islands i suppose we can guam. do it there guam don't, for, don't forget guam <laughs> hawaii alaska all that applies so north america Wait, i thought you said only states we can't have hawaii in alaska <laughs> <laughs> so find out more major spoilers get it in help us out help you out enter a chance to win this great prize minor internet oh. fame awaits uh, it could be because we're going to post all these images on the interwebs and the you, could be, you could be in the next uh, weezer video you never know you never know all right and bonus bonus points for anybody who gets a picture of the artist formerly known as china <laughs> there you go all right let's get to some reviews we've been jibber jabbering jibber jabber rodrigo so, why don't you start us off man all right well we're i'm checking back on Ghost Rider. Oh, yeah. This Ghost Rider with Ketch versus uh, Blaze, right? Yeah. So, you know, last one, last uh, last time uh, I was here, which was like two issues two issues ago with Ghost Rider, um, you know, they have this big reveal that Danny Ketch and not, in fact, Slagathor is, <laughs> um, has been following Johnny Blaze around. And, of course, the next issue rolls around and they don't address it. <laughs> um, they they jump forward in time a little bit to a, a, an arc that you know I, you gotta you gotta appreciate that what they're doing with Ghost Rider. The last um, arc was um, Hell Bent and Heaven Bound. Right. This one's called um, God Don't Live in C- Cell Block D. Ah, cool. Um, so so that's kind of a hint as to the storyline. Yeah, Ghost Rider is basically broken into a prison and is uh, you know starts beating people up trying to get to this deacon. Who has dealt with um, Zadkiel, who's this the evil angel that's trying to take over heaven? Yeah. Um, 
and um, he's trying to talk to him to find a way to get to heaven. Uh, meanwhile, and I sh- shouldn't have called him a deacon. He's not a deacon. He's well, a, that's his name, though, is the deacon. No, the deacon is actually one of Zadkiel's followers, who is like this nine foot tall engine of death. And then Zadkiel <laughs> arms him with like holy daggers that uh, kill ghost riders. Oh, cool. <laughs> So plus have, five against ghost riders. Pretty much. <laughs> plus five against flaming skulls. Um, and, you know, they have a big slug fist and it's pretty awesome. And ghost rider, you know, ends up like he can't beat him because this guy can actually get through his defenses. And he is completely guiltless. Like he believes that everything he does is right. Thus right. The penance there doesn't work on him. Um, and ghost rider finds a very clever, clever way to beat him. Um the problems and i liked it you know it, like the the last issue didn't like so much this one it kind of gets things back on track the one thing that i don't like they changed the artist the mm. the previous arc i really liked the art on it um this one uh the art is a lot um kind of looks like a if you take aeon flux make it a little bit less um angular angular and soften it up a lot like the color looks really muddy in it for some reason that's kind of what it looks like and it's a drastic change from the previous artist. And when Ghost Rider ghost rides it up, um, <laughs> he kind of looks, because it's so muddy, he's like, well, is that a skull in there? He kind of just looks like the human torch wearing mm-hmm. a biker jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the art I'm not too convinced about. Um, the dialogue is fun. The writing's good. You know, Ghost Rider is just such a badass. The stuff that he says, you know, I mean, he's a guy who's literally been to hell and back. Right. Just gotten into a freaking fist fight with the devil. You know, that kind of ridiculous stuff. Um, and they're really playing up that angle, that kind of like old school, pulpy, um, you know, just uh, action adventure kind of stuff. Yeah, 70s Ghost Rider kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. What I like about this and just reading the solicitation here, I saw the Deacon. I'm thinking, oh, OK, this is the same Deacon character that we saw in the Ghost Rider movie. The character in that movie was Johnny Blaze. Mm-hmm. And the title of this issue caged cage mm. caged heat not only a reference to great uh uh jail movies but also i wonder if they nicholas. threw in that little nicholas cage action in there maybe although this this artist does not he that's another thing that kind of bothers me he doesn't look like the previous artists ghostwriter in any way like the the previous artist had a very square jawed guy you know with some stubble and short brown hair this is a thin faced like kind of long angular faced guy with shaggy blonde hair when when they first started watching cage I, I don't know about that when i first started reading it i you know the in the previous issue i was like wait is this supposed to be johnny blaze why do they oh, keep calling yeah, yeah. this guy blaze he doesn't look anything like him it was a little yeah. confusing mm. so um, star rating i'm gonna give it three um okay. the art probably knocks it down from the four that it's been accumulating over right. you know two pretty solid arcs okay Cool. Uh, I went ahead and had two options to go with. Uh, the first one that I was going to go with was Final Crisis Requiem, uh, but Matthew is going to tackle that up on the website, uh, so do make sure you check out his review there. My only thing that I'll say about it, a little schmaltzy, a little bit uh, let's look back at the whole life and times of John Jones. Uh, I only gave it a two. Matthew may be a little bit different. The one I do want to review is the new Hellboy, well, it's not new, it's a couple weeks old probably, Hellboy, The Crooked Man, written by Mike Mignola, Mign- I'm just terrible with Mignola. Names. There you go. Mignola. And Richard Mignola. Corbin. Now, this one, unlike a lot of the other Hellboy tales that we've seen in the past, which are either them fighting frogmen, which I'm getting kind of tired of that storyline, mm-hmm. or 
uh, Cthulhu or these European myths. This one's actually set in the Appalachian Mountains during the 1950s, and it's all about this uh, witch that people are are accusing living up in the hills. And this guy comes into town and and uh, agrees to accompany Hellboy because he knows this woman. And along the way, we find out that this this man was bewitched by this witch when he was younger. The witch also bewitched this woman that they're after. And it just really dives into some of those mountain-type myths of who witches are. They're familiars, these little creatures that they have, their ability to transform into different beings. In fact, uh, when they get to this woman's house, uh, they only find her skin, and the raccoon crawls through the window and gets back into the body and turns back into the woman. It's very good. It's a different kind of a team-up uh, tale because at the end of the tale, the man, Hellboy, and the woman are all going to go after the main witch, or actually the crooked man, uh, the devil, apparently, old scratch, and uh, take care of business there. Uh, I love the story. The story is a three-parter. This first issue really kicks it off and lets you know who all the characters are. The art I'm kind of eh, 75-25 on. I, I like it, but I really want Mike back doing art, which he will be in after this arc is finished, is my understanding. He'll be both doing the writing and the art on it. It's still very solid. Uh, I'm giving this one a four out of five stars. Yeah. I, I liked it a lot. Wow. So that's my thoughts. Uh, Matthew, Matthew, what have you got for us? I, uh, this time around, actually chose to look at Secret Invasion, number four ah. of eight, uh, diving headfirst into Marvel's giant crossover. I think I said on the last podcast, my great concern is they did make it possible to read Secret Invasion without reading all the crossovers right. and get right. your story. Right. The problem is you can't read the crossovers without reading Secret Invasion. I had not intended to read this series, but the crossovers aren't going to make any sense without it, and I found that out after about three weeks. So we pick up issue four, basically, midway, and the first caption in the book says it all. It's an invasion. It's already happened. So we see Reed Richards being tortured by Skrulls. It's... I think it's very similar to the scene we saw in Avengers, the I-Word, a couple of years ago. Was this where he was stretched out really mm -hmm. tight and thin? Yeah, they've got him They've got him stretched out, and a bunch of scrolls are just sort of standing there and watching. I'm not sure. It looks like it may be an execution scene or preparing for an execution. Oh, cool. Because Reed Richards is essentially Osama bin Laden for the scrolls. <laughs> <laughs> but we see scroll ships in orbit around Earth. Um, it's We see that... Sword, the uh, the alien arm of S.H.I.E.L.D. from right. the Astonishing X-Men has been wiped out. The Sentry is in space crying because it wouldn't be a Sentry story without crying. Yeah. <laughs> and New York is under just under siege from hundreds and hundreds of Super Scrolls. Half the fun is actually trying to figure out what the Super Scrolls represent. Yeah, I love that. I love all the like new Super Scrolls. Oh, yeah, because you go in and you're like, oh, look, it's a Cyclops, Wolverine. Yeah, Colossus. Yeah, Colossus. Yeah, yeah. Like, cool. And there's <laughs> there's one that's a, the, the classic line about the Defenders Super Scroll. And there's, mm. strangely enough, there seems to be a Young Avengers Super Scroll. Nice. Well, there is but, a Young Avengers Scroll crossover coming up. There you go. And uh, we see Nick Fury and his new Howling Commandos that we saw last issue. Big um, ass gun, right? Big ass gun. We're talking like Rob Liefeld is jealous of this gun. Like nice. Tetsuo <laughs> gun, right? It's, it is seriously messed up. Nick looks to be about six feet tall. The gun's about seven feet long. Yeah. 
Um, but we do see his new Howling Commandos in action. We saw them in a recent issue. They get names. Now, uh, are they are they named the Howling Commandos? I've got it in my stack. I'm about a week behind. I haven't gotten to uh, Secret Invasion Four. Are they? Do they, they call them the Howling Commandos, or are they just Nick Fury's partners? I in believe crime? Nick said something to the. He, I don't know if he called them Commandos or Howling Commandos on the last page of issue three, but I'm going to call them the Howling Commandos because I can do that. But you can go <laughs> right ahead. I can. I'll, I'll call them the Blackhawks. There you go. But we get we get very little in the way of backstory. We find out that they have names. One of them is Stonewall. One of them is Yo-Yo. But in any case, the Howling Commandos step in and actually start, with the help of Ms. Marvel, to turn around the battle in New York. So they actually turn the tides at least somewhat. Um, about halfway through the issue, we see Tony Stark getting either revealed to be a scroll or getting the biggest mind f word of all I think time. he's just getting mind messed with. I I kind of agree with you because the scroll princess is really laying it on thick about how she couldn't have done this without him and his real name is Clerliki Dululu. Now is uh has Tony Stark and and again not being a Marvel person has right. Spider-Woman and Tony Stark have they been getting it on for a while or have they just been friendly towards one another? Spider Woman seems was, to be this whole implication that they've been knocking boots for a while. Spider Woman was one of Luke's Avengers at the time of the split during Civil War. She came back with the body of Elektra to Tony Stark. Oh, okay. But I'm not sure if they've been doing it or not. Um, okay. I'd be surprised if they hadn't because he's Tony Stark. Yeah. But we see an interesting scene with Phoenix and. Uh, a furry ape beast showing up just in time for the Black Widow to actually be a complete badass, shoot the place up, drag off the scrolls, and and basically stick a needle in Tony's neck and say, you know, buck up, scumbag, we're going to go do this. It's hysterical. Now He's like, do you want to kill me or do you want to not kill me? In, He's in, like, I want to kill them. In this whole Skrillapalooza, mm -hmm. is this going to end up being like, people live, people die? Someone's going to die, and you're not going to believe it. Are we going to see, like, a major death of a character? I mean, so far, to me, the only big major revelation that I think shocked everyone was from Secret Invasion 1 with Hank Pym. Just turning around and pointing the gun at Reed Richards and going kablammo. Mm -hmm. I think that was I, the only one that I was shocked with. I mean, this yeah. whole um, uh, Who Do You Trust campaign by Greg Horn that the Marvel sent out and we posted up on the site. Yeah, they had Spider-Man, they had Wolverine, they had all these people, but you know what? They got off the ship, they died in issue two and were revealed to be Skrulls. Bomp, bomp, bomp. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. Is Tony Stark going to be a Skrull? Is this is this something that Marvel said they weren't going to do, but did do, and now they're going back on their word or is is, I, is there going to be some major earth sh you know this is what the this is why we have company-wide crossover events you know the marvel universe will never be the same again is that what's going to happen with this it's more like the marvel universe will never be the same again but um the main thing that i'm getting out of this is they throughout it bendis wants to swerve us he wants to make us think one thing and then pull a vince mcmahon and go oh wait it turns out you're wrong and that's why this whole Tony Stark thing feels too much like a swerve to me. It feels yeah. like they're going to set us up and then Tony's going to realize who he really is. But throughout the issue, we see individual characters. We see Monica Brand of Sword. We see the Black Widow. We see Nick Fury and his agent. Basically, the people who don't have ties to the whole friggin' universe effectively fighting the Skrulls because they don't have any intelligence on them. Mm -hmm. 
Jarvis okay. takes over Shield, which is hysterical. Nice. And I thought he blew up. Jarvis? Yeah, didn't he say Oh no, I guess he showed Skrull up. Scroll Jarvis. Yeah, Scroll Jarvis, okay. Scroll Jarvis is uh, actually on board the helicarrier telling Maria Hill, the worst character of all time, that he'll accept her surrender. But at the end of the issue, Nick Fury manages to turn the fight around somewhat, and two important people get involved at the end of the issue. And the first of one I am not happy about, and I will tell you I'm not happy about it because I'm tired of Brian Bendis shoving his pet characters down my neck. Mm. But it's interesting to see the Hood and his legion of supervillains deciding to fight against the Skrulls. The Hood basically does a, a big Scarface thing, and he's like, no more Earth is bad for business. And he and his men step out to start killing aliens. And do they say, say hello to my little friend? Yeah, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, that's you know one of the nice things about, I don't know if we'd see this in a DC, because I'm certainly, what was you know DC's big invasion event that they had back in the uh It was 80s. called Invasion? Yeah. Uh, not really secret, because <laughs> it was just size. a big invasion. Right. But I don't remember the villains taking sides in that war. I don't remember the villains fighting it up against the uh the the red dotted guys what are their names um starro no the dominators yeah the dominators but here how dare you you need to start i know my name is just names just to me just go in one ear and out the other that's Mm -hmm. why i'm so terrible with remembering people it's just one of those weird things about me i can remember stupid little facts (laughs) like what corduroy hat matthew used to wear back in college (laughs) but ask me to that guy that sat next to us in class with the blonde hair and the glasses and goes by the name of evan i couldn't tell you what why he went by that you know Mm -hmm. But because Evan was his real name, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it, it seems like in Marvel, we're actually seeing the villains choose a side and the side for hey, we're humans, let's fight for the humans, mm-hmm. right? And that's a nice touch. And it, I mean, if it was, if it wasn't such a I, 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 probably it's my hatred of that arc of New Avengers, I will say it right now. Lionel Yu's writing and Bendis's, you know. A, Bendis's or Lionel use I don't even know what you want to call it. The the guy who drawed the pictures and the guy who wrote the pictures in the hood arc of New Avengers did nothing for me. And oh, I walked okay. away from every issue irritated. So, so it's nice to see the villains in place. I'm just I I, I feel Got nothing a bad for the taste book. in your mouth about it. Yeah, so exactly. what's 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 your thought then after four issues into this big seven hundred issue tie in event? Mm, I'm I'm thinking that four issues in, they want us to think we know what's going on, and two issues from now, everything we know is wrong. But the last page of this issue gives us. Are we going to see Steve Rogers come back? Steve Rogers is back, right? Nope. Thor. Oh, cool. Thor. Yeah, but see that that's going to be the end of the Secret Invasion. Steve Rogers is back. I'm so Thor, I can hardly stand up. (laughs) So what's what's the big star rating, Matthew, on Secret Invasion four? I'm going to have to go with two and a half out of five. It's not a bad book. I've I've made my noise about Lionel Yu's art. It's passable. It's grotesque. The aliens look alien. But the the issue starts with a big close-up of Reed Richards' eye, which is just really red and swollen and disgusting. Um, the story's nice for the middle chapter. I want to know what's going on. And my frustrations at this point come from being at the point where I feel like they should start giving me something to work with. This issue doesn't really reveal anything. It's got a big, you know, a fighty fight scene. It's got a nice moment with the hood, a nice moment with Thor. It's got a good badass moment from Black Widow, but it doesn't really push the plot along so much as fill 28 pages 
until we can get to the next issue, which is number five out of eight, which means, you know, theoretically, in terms of numerical, we'll probably get a big swerve at the end there. But overall, I'm not disappointed with it. I'm certainly not as irritated with it as I thought I would be based on the solicitations and from issue one. So, Man, I tell you, it's it just seems like since the beginning of April, we've been into Comic-Con season all over the place, and just next week already... We've got the big one, San Diego Comic-Con, taking place in San Diego, California. It's the largest show by far of all of the comic conventions, and there are numbers and numbers of panels that are going on. And uh, there's a whole group of them putting on by the Comics Art Conference. So please welcome back to the show Dr. Peter Coogan, who's the director of the Institute for Comic Studies and the co-founder and co-chair of the Comic Arts Conference. Peter, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back, Stephen. So you have got to be on your last nerve. You've got to be all stressed out with this big show coming up in just a week. And uh, you've got quite quite a bunch of panels going on. Yes, yeah, it's our biggest uh, conference ever. We've, we've tapped out at 16 panels. So we have wow. four panels a day. Yeah, I know. It's a 20 and a half hours of programming. We, we may be the largest single programming track, but I haven't. I haven't done the math. We're up there anyway. Well, this um, is a big contrast to what was going on the last time you had us on the sh- uh, show about a month ago, where you were doing a small little panel up at the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art with the whole costume, uh, uh, I don't want to say convocation. Costume yeah. Yeah. How did that yeah, go? Yeah, the exhibition. Oh, that went fantastic. Um, we had a great day. Everything laid out the way it was supposed to, except Adi Granoff got stuck in an airport in uh in that doesn't Liverpool, surprise me that doesn't so surprise he, me yeah so he came in and we had to rearrange the schedule a little bit so we shifted things so that the costume designers panel was last but so we'd get these phone calls he's he's in the airport he's <laughs> cleared customs he's in a taxi cab he's on the bridge um and he came in at 403 p.m literally wow. walked in the door walked up on stage just as uh jeff clock was finishing his introduction. Wow! And so we were all we were all happy, and it was great. Was and, there a big uh, turnout? There was a big turnout. It was several hundred people. It was uh, the the room held like uh, seven hundred and fifty, and I think our estimates were around four hundred people. Wow! Um, and most of them came. We we really thought we'd build through the whole day, and we did. We started out at I don't know two fifty or three hundred, but it wasn't a big leap. People came for the whole day. Cool. Um, so that was fantastic. Um, the the discussion was great. Um, Michael Uslan, um, he his went to about thirty five minutes to thirty minutes rather than than 45 so it was great we had a little time for questions and answer i just mm-hmm. i just called up people um the presenters and they came up and so we had general questions and answer cool. and it was fantastic i can sum up the day this way um this this older woman she's probably about 75 gray-haired woman immaculately <laughs> dressed you know upper west side right. new yorker <laughs> met regular just goes to the met on sundays well she happens to see the exhibition on superhero costumes. So uh-huh. she goes through that, likes it, sees that we're offering some panels, comes by for a couple of minutes, but stays the whole day. Cool. She walks up to me during her break, puts her arm, you know, reaches up, puts her arm on my, sh- on my shoulder and says, this is the best thing the Met has ever put on. Wow. Quite the compliment. So, yeah. And then now you I flipped know her some she... Superman comics and said, here, uh, <laughs> check this out. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, well, I know she doesn't hit the shops on Wednesday, I'm so sure. uh, that's not uh, was not the audience. That was an audience we were hoping to reach. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Just the the sort of person who comes in. So well, everybody was really pleased with it. Well, that's excellent. Now at San Diego. Uh, it looks like your entire four days are all going to be in the same rooms, 30A and B, from what I look yeah, like. Yeah, down about – it's about halfway to uh, Tijuana. Yeah. So. That's a big <laughs> no, convention no, it's, center. It's a big convention center. I remember back uh, when I started in 92, it was it was big, and then they doubled it Yeah, back in late late 90s, and the, the Comic-Con filled the whole thing. And we used to be down in 7A, and they moved us out to 30 um, and and it seemed kind of far out there, and we wondered about it. But we fill our room quite often, and it's bigger room. It's uh, over two hundred seats, and it's great because there's not all the noise and yeah. and activity going on. Sometimes, like the uh, Battlestar Galactica panel mm-hmm. or Heroes panel, mm-hmm. the lines for that will wrap around, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and sort of block your... our doorway. But you know, I, I remember the same thing happened when uh, my wife and I went a few years ago. We uh, uh, went into a panel that we really wanted to go into, but we almost couldn't get in because of the line for Bruce Campbell that was right yeah. across the hall. And then, of course, all the noise for that. But but going back to the to the panels that you guys are putting on, you've got some wonderful. You know, this is a little bit different than just a fan panels that you put on. You actually go into the hows and the whys and the the theory. Of, of comics, and you really look at it from either a historical perspective, uh, an arts perspective, those kinds of things. And, and I mean, you've got one, the 70th anniversary with uh, Superman. You've got um, uh, developing canon and theory, which, you know, that I think there's probably some, some major comic book companies that could probably sit down and, and uh, enjoy that panel. But you've just got a list that goes on and on and on. Absolutely. And, that's been one of the great things about the conference is that we add something to the comic book convention because it's not a promotion panel, right? You no, know, it's not a company. And I, I, those things we need to have those things: Marvel, DC, Dark sure. Horse. They need to stand up and say what they're doing, what's coming next. It's not a, it's not a worship panel. You know how? The- mm-hmm. Whoops! I think we lost Peter. Ah, dang internet! Uh, we had we lost Peter for a moment, but Peter, you were saying, uh, why do we have these panels? Yeah, it's so we can offer something extra, um, so that we don't just have the promotional or fan or worship of creators or um, sort of nostalgia panels or right. those sorts of things. Right. And it, so it's a sort of space outside of that commercial and uh, celebrity culture and and. Uh, and nostalgia, um, so that we get into some analysis, some cultural relevance, looking at why we like these things, why we read them, why they matter, um, that kind of stuff. Connections with larger theories and ideas about who we are and what we're talking about. And this really goes into the academic side. I mean, if you look at uh, a lot of the presenters on these panels, they come from high schools, colleges, the California Western School of Law. I mean, you've got a long list of, of educators uh, presenting in these in these panels, and I think that's great. I mean, why is it suddenly – it just seems – maybe it's just me, but it just seems that suddenly within the last couple of years, maybe five years at most, it seems people are trying to take a more – uh, professional, I guess, is the word I want to use. Professional approach to comics as literature. Why, why is that? 
Well, part of it's just something about academia. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine, Stanford Carpenter, the School of the Art Institute, um, which is starting a comic studies program under under Stanford, um, he says that um, each generation will green light more than it will do. So um, I remember back in the 90s, I was standing in a bar at the Popular Culture Association conference, and I thought, if a bomb goes off now, comic scholarship is dead. (laughs) Uh, because there were a bunch of us, we were all working on our dissertations, we were all going to publish books, we were all going to tr- you know, get jobs or try to get jobs. And, right. and most of the people in that group have gone on to become professors. Uh, some, like, like, like me, have gone on to take our own direction in academia, but we still ended up in academia. And so institutionally, as we've moved into those positions and moved up in terms of getting tenure and those sorts of things, we've just been able to do more and offer more. Mm -hmm. And now you have, for instance, when I did my dissertation, I did my uh, uh, literature review, which every dissertation has to have. You look around at everything that's been published, and I did it like this. Looked over there, looked over there, okay. (laughs) You know, there wasn't anything, really, on the superhero. There There was very, very little. And now... People have to contend with my book, uh, uh, some other, and several other books and papers, and mm-hmm. so that's part of it. Is that graduate students have been working now for a while, and now that they've moved into positions of actual some authority and able to, are they're able to do things. So that's changed what's been done because those people need to produce scholarship to move ahead. Yeah. And and as there's been more produced, that means more people have to account for more things in their own scholarly work. But it also means that just the general public out there can encounter a book about comics. Well, um, certainly from the tenure track process, b- presenting on panels, especially national panels at a big uh, convention like San Diego, certainly goes a long way towards that tenure process at many schools. And I'm just looking at this list, comics pedagogy, um, comics in the classroom. Why, you know, it's not just young children comics. I mean, uh, we talked before in this, when we were talking before, I teach a class on comics to film and how comics get changed or the evolution that they have to go through to become a movie. And, you know, that's requires some comic reading, but it also requires a knowledge of what comics are and how the visual art translates into emotion art. And so it's I, I think there's some very again, very cool panels on this on this uh, at the convention. Yeah, and we've got a great comics pedagogy panel, which we always have. Um and one of the things that I think is really interesting is some, a group of students from the University of Florida, which has a strong comics program, mm-hmm. are looking at approaches to comic studies being practiced by graduate students at the University of Florida's English department. Mm. Um, and, and so they're looking at a variety of different aspects and perspectives, um, ways into the comics. But that's new, and it's because you have people working on their PhDs in English, and they're trying to find a way to use the material to in sort of the political economy of academia you know how do you get a how do you move forward well you get to teach a class not just an introduction class not just a composition class but something beyond that yeah. and then you try to find ways of working your own material in so that hopefully some of the papers you're writing and the classes you're teaching contributes actually to your dissertation the the best graduate students end up tightly coordinating their 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 articles and their conference presentations into their dissertation. Mm-hmm. Well, 
that's become possible because of a previous generation of scholars who started to be started to teach classes in comics. And so I, I think that's I think it's really sort of the political economy of academia that's led to this stuff. But there's things like the Comics Arts Conference. You know, we we take a role a view of ourselves as public intellectuals, mm-hmm. where we're trying to do outreach, trying to bridge the gaps between the academy and the industry and the readers. And when I started the Comics Arts Conference, the idea of a comic scholar was Frederick Wortham. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Plague and all that. I mean, the right. Uh, yeah, the not the writer of the, of the book, but yeah, yeah, the seduction of the innocent. Right. What David Hyde talks about in Tencent Plague, and and so now that's changed, and it's primarily been because of of efforts by comic scholars uh, to write and things like the Comics Arts Conference. I don't think that hurts because um, we see. Um, professionals coming and getting involved and it, it, it can change their mind or they're just interested anyway and they love to get into it from a different perspective they love to have the conversation we have at the conference which is different from the conversation they get to have at the other panels yeah a little bit a little bit more intellectual a little bit more thinking besides just the panel giving perhaps you information about some upcoming title this one actually goes a little bit more in depth Exactly. And, you know, I understand that, that desire for what's coming up next. I went to a panel at Wizard World on the Green Lanterns, and there's, they're doing this whole thing with the color spectrum. Right. Uh, you know, green represents willpower, yellow represents avarice, um, uh, or no, orange represents avarice, yellow represents fear. Uh, fear. Right. And that's really interesting, but the questions tended to be not what does this mean, what's your process, how do you conceptualize this, what color theory are you using, mm-hmm. but well, what's coming next? When are you going to use the red? Who's going to get a red ring? Right. It's sort of plot details. And I understand the desire for that, but I also want to have the other things. And it's really hard to work those into the regular panels. So that's why we have what we have. Well, is there anything big is in this huge list? Is there any panels that if someone just had an hour, hour and a half, two hours to sit down, are there any that are on the top of the list of ones people would really get something out of? Or are there... Some some real gems hidden here in in this list. Sure, um, there's a couple things. There's there's our usual panel on visual language. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neil Cohn is a linguist, and so if you want to get into what how comics work, that is a great panel. It's on um, it's on Friday at uh, at twelve thirty. It's called Visual Language. Another one, and this is my personal. I'm going to promote it. <laughs> I'm doing a panel called Playing the Hero. Yeah, and I have a Diamond Dallas Page, ah, the cool. wrestler. Yeah, and uh, John Newton, who played Superboy. This TV. was in the one from the eighties, Superboy. One from the late eighties, early nineties. Cool. He played the first. He was uh, the first actor who played him. Yeah. Uh, we have a City of Heroes gamer, Joseph Cotton, and Matthew Atherton. Feedback from oh, who yeah, wants yeah. to be a superhero. And we're going to talk about the ways wrestlers, actors, and gamers understand, adapt, and apply the superhero genre. Excellent. So, I want to find out what other people, what other people, people who've put on the costume, mm-hmm. people who have the superhero bodies, what do they find? What do they think? You know, rather than just what I think as a scholar. Um, we're doing a thing called the Comics Studies Forum, mm-hmm. where comic scholars are going to get together and discuss the current and future state of, of the field of comic studies, and then bring projects to work on, and we'll form working groups to work on those projects. So I'm hoping that becomes a kind of ground zero uh, for comic studies, for the field. Yeah. And if, if only two or three of the projects go forward every year, that's two or three more projects, maybe, than would have gotten done otherwise. Yeah, so how, is, I mean, 
is the Car- the Comics Arts Institute is that is this really the only I guess organization of comic studies that that is out there? Well, the, I mean, there's the Institute for Comic Studies, and that's kind of an umbrella. The mm-hmm. Comics Arts Conference is is a uh, is a conference, and we've been going since '92, so it's the longest running. Sp- specifically a comics conference. But there's the International Comics Art Forum, mm-hmm. uh, which is now located at the School of the Art Institute, and that'll be in October. Um, University of Florida hosts a, uh, a symposium every year. Um, Ohio State University has its triennial festival. Um, the Popular Culture Association conference has a large, it's one of the largest um, sections on comics and comic art. Uh, so the CAC isn't the only academic uh, conference out there, and even um, Northeast Modern Languages Association has a pretty strong comics area. Um, Modern Languages Association, I think last year there was finally a comics panel. Okay. Of course, when I presented uh, a panel back when I was a graduate student to them, they said that uh, that my proposal intellectualizes the topic in just the wrong way. So. <laughs> But I mean, as far as I guess you know, um, I, I'm a, a member of the Broadcast Educators Association. I'm a member of uh, the National Association of Broadcasters. Are there other organizations for academics talking about comic studies besides the Institute for Comic Studies? And actually, there are. There is, in fact, um, something called the uh, Comics Art um, Teachers Association. Oh, okay. something like that. I. I've got a. I ah, think I've seen is. their website. Yeah, the National Association of Comics Arts Educators. Okay. Yeah. Um, now I haven't personally been involved with them, although now that I have the institute, my plan is to work with these types of organizations to help them further their missions. How um, how do people become a member of the Institute for Comic Studies? Is there fees? Uh, there aren't fees. Um, I'm hoping to just have uh, affiliate memberships. I haven't really thought about opening it up to the public to join. Okay. Uh, but I mean somebody I like me from from academia. Yeah. It, it's I'm that will be up on my webpage to basically okay. um, get in my database. Okay. Which is essentially what I mean by joining. And that way when you're doing something, you let me know what you're doing mm-hmm. and then I can find the people to connect you with. Okay. I'll cool. give you an example. The Columbia University has a a large oral history archive. Mm-hmm. I was recently connected by uh, connected contacted by uh, a librarian there, Karen Green. Um, they're possibly interested in expanding into oral history on comics. Wow, cool. Okay, so uh, I'm helping to connect her with people who are already doing that sort of work um, to get uh, tapes of interviews that have been done, donated, that sort of thing. Sure. And that's just that just came up last week, so it's not anything yet, but it could grow into something. Yeah. Um, or um, there might be a, a conference at the University of Oregon, and so I'm helping them find people who have uh, original art to display. Um, Very cool. That sort of thing. Or, yeah. you know, Northeast, uh, uh, the Northeast MLA, um, I've got a, a call for papers to pass on. So I try to do that kind of stuff as a way of helping. Anybody who's out there doing something, if it's related to comics, if they contact me about it, I probably know somebody who they should know. Excellent. Well, please add me to your database then. I will. You are. So, you are in my database. Oh, okay, cool. Well, one of the things then, since you're talking about an oral history, 
please tell me that you guys are going to be recording these uh, these conferences that you guys are putting on and making them available to the hundreds of thousands of us who can't make it to San Diego this year. I mean, the, the, all four days are already sold out. There's going to be hundreds of thousands of people swarming on to the city, but that doesn't mean the rest of the world should do without. You know, this is one of those sad things. I, I've written, I wrote a history of uh, of of fanzines from 1960 to 1970, which, which um, for a book that never came out, and I haven't gotten it published yet. But the thing is, even as I'm writing that history, I'm not recording my history. Oh. So, yes, you're absolutely right, and that is in terms of podcasting and so forth. Um, there's a technical challenge we need to solve, but uh, we do have microphones. There is a soundboard, mm-hmm. so um, that is something that I was planning on looking into this year. Sure, um, but it hadn't occurred to me in the past because I wasn't thinking about podcasts. Mm-hmm. Well, so, I think certainly I, I've been podcasting for over three years now, and and we've just started this podcast within the last year. But that's one thing that surprises me is that there's so much good information out there that you know you may not even have to go to the convention to get really good information. And I think if somehow there was the comics uh, arts conference all these sessions were put up on a on your website or some website or as part of a podcast i think there'd be some really good stuff in there yeah and there that's one of my longer term plans although as i said i'm going to see if i can work it out for this year yeah um and in fact the comic con does podcasts um um they have their own podcast dc and marvel comics right. podcast their panels and um, there's going to be a lot of that kind of stuff going on. It's more and more every year. Mm-hmm. And and speaking of the uh, the Comic Con, I, I saw some press releases from Universal, from NBC. NBC is going to be at the Comic Con in a huge way. I mean, they're yeah. going to have stuff on The Office, which it's oh, not yeah. related to comics at right. all, and yet. And yet, there it is. So that that's it's just the growth has been amazing. Well, why has and this is something I kind of pointed out last week when I was uh, put up the first wave of of the schedule that was announced. It seems that of all the panels that I counted, and this was only the Wednesday Thursday panels, uh, thirty five of those were devoted to television and movies. Uh, there were only about eleven, I think, that were devoted towards theory, philosophy, how to. And then there was maybe 20 or so that were company-sponsored events. Why such a big push, especially at San Diego, for the um, – I mean, I guess I know the answer. Why, though, is there a big push for the, for the media and television and, and movies instead of, of comics? Why, why we are there? Well, I think there's a simple answer, and it's a 30-minute it's a plane ride. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or less. Yeah. Uh, from L.A. That's what it is. And the fact is, what happened – uh, a number of years ago, I'm going to guess it was around 2000, but um, Hollywood just sort of realized that they had a kind of captive audience mm-hmm. that they could inject uh, with with information about what they were doing and get those people to go out and spread the word. Well, isn't though? I mean, that's kind of been that way since the 1970s with George Lucas with Star Wars and and screening it at one of the early conventions first to get the the word of mouth out there, and it just seems that. If we are talking about everything related to comics and pop culture, then that's why you would want to do it at at a comic convention. But it seems that there's a a group of people that are just kind of anti Hollywood infringing on their on their space. Like oh. you said, Office, for example, really has beyond the nerd nerdy factor, 
where does it, you know, there's not an office comic. Uh, uh, there's a Chuck comic, and I know there's probably a Chuck panel coming out, but, you know, I, I can understand people wanting their Battlestar Galacticas and their Star Wars and Star Trek and that, but uh, I forget one of them is an upcoming show that's not even semi-sci-fi that's being promoted there's the, there's a kids pbs show that's being hyped at at the con and it's just like wow really that's that's how the this convention in particular has has become absolutely and i know that that people i've heard people at comic-con talking just people at comic-con talking about you know maybe it should move maybe there should be this big media con in la yeah and then then give us back the comic-con you know, just for comics. And WonderCon has become sort of uh, that because it is just comics. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really, it's just focused on comics um, in San Francisco, you know, at the end of February. Um, And, and to be honest, I don't, I don't have any particular insight into how, how uh, the organizers of the Comic-Con are thinking about this and how they're going to handle it. Um, You know, they're, they're, they're definitely going to be in San Diego um, you know they've signed a contract with the convention center, um, yeah. and so it's it's just a it's a, just a weird kind of growth thing where companies have found a great place to take advantage of that captive audience and how you balance that and and uh, the convention centers hit its capacity. I mean it sells oh, out yeah. now. Yeah, and they don't do they don't sell uh, memberships on site anymore, and it will all the passes will be gone. Um, and it's grown every year, and now they're. I think we're starting. You know, it seems like we start the panels earlier every year. I think mm-hmm. our. I think panels now start at ten thirty, you know, on Thursday, and they yeah. didn't used to start that early. So, um, it's just growth, and it's it's good ultimately. But how do sure. you deal with? But how it's do you not. Deal with that? It's not just San Diego that's experiencing growth. It seems like all these other comic conventions, which were one time rather small, have now become. Have tried to get some notoriety. Yeah, and that gets into um, something. I was talking, you know, to somebody at DC who has said that it's just too much. You know, they they try to they have to go to all of them, right. and they do. But if you are the one who has to travel, <laughs> and your mm-hmm. your whole summer every weekend you're someplace else, you know, you want to be home and mow the lawn or something. So that's grown, and it's 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 in some ways analogous to the primaries, the political primaries, because you know this year Florida and Michigan they tried to have their primaries early, and 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 they ran into all those problems, and we ended up having this huge long primary s- season. Um, but there was this foregrounding of the primaries, um, pushing them back. And the same kind of thing has happened in comics because all these different conventions, HeroesCon and, and um, the one in Dallas and San Diego and, and the Wizard Worlds, uh, there's so many of them and there's only so much news. So right. it's hard for the companies really to structure their summers the way they used to, to do a certain revelation at, at ChicagoCon, which then led to a bigger revelation at San Diego, because they've had to do five other shows in between. And in mm-hmm. terms of, the pe- there are certain people who go to Comic-Cons, creators and so forth, and, and other ones who don't. And so, you know, if you've been to uh, Wizard World, World Philly, you don't necessarily want to go to HeroesCon, yeah. because... Maybe it's the same people or um, that kind of thing. And in fact, it's hard also on the artists because, you know, they get pressure to go. uh, And yet, while they're at the comic book conventions, they can't do work on their comics. Mm -hmm. 
And so then they might have to turn in something late, which they get penalized for, because yeah. we all want the comics to come out on time. And so they have a really hard time struggling with that. So it, it's been an immense growth. I don't have an answer for it. I wish they would form some kind of council and, and lay out the things in an order and get it all kind of structured but that's probably restraint of trade anyway. And so. that's kind of probably what Wizard was trying to do with we've got the the Texas, the Chicago, we've got all these others that are kind of planned out that way. It, I don't know. I kind of like the small the small kind of tiny shows where you might only have one or two names uh, in attendance. I, I get a kick out of those. Yeah, and, it, and those sort of dealer shows are nice. They're primarily dealer shows, but you also may be – I remember I hear stories back from the old days in San Diego where, you know, people would would go out to – or they'd see William Shatner at Denny's, yeah, yeah, you know, and be, sit down with him. Yeah. You know, and – or they'd get to talk to Jack Kirby for a half an hour, you yeah. know, and it just – it just isn't like that. It's just a different world now, and you, you can still – you can still have some of those encounters, but it's become much more – they have to control it. Um, oh, I remember yeah. back in 1992, 90, Image Comics, Rob Liefeld throwing comics. There was almost a riot. They had to, <laughs> you know, because Image was so big back then, and yeah. it, it just – it got un, unexpectedly out of control um, because of the kind of promotional stuff they were doing. But, of course, I'm sure that they had done that in other places, and it wasn't a big deal, but it's just – the sort of mass happened. Oh, yeah. Well, so, if, if you want to rub elbows with famous people from all over the pop culture industry, San Diego is certainly the place to do it. I remember when we went, one moment I was talking with Gene Simmons, who I bumped into, and then the next I'm standing in line next to Jim Lee, who wanted to get into a Superman panel. And I was like, this is far out, man. Uh, yeah, but exactly. for everyone who does not have their <laughs> tickets, you're pretty much out of luck because – uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, completely sold out. Looks like Sunday is, Sunday is at about a 90% capacity. Hopefully, those of you that do have your tickets will head over to the Comics Art Conference panels. At least check out three of them. That's what I would ask. Check out three of those panels, one a day. Surely there's something that's going to be interesting to you. I'm just going down the list and going, ooh, 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 I want to go to that one. Ooh, ooh. Uh, Peter Coogan. And what's, what's wonderful is that on the Comic-Con website, you can actually – they have them uh, grouped by, uh, by themes or by right. programming tracks. So if you find one Comics Arts Conference panel, just click – the Comics Arts Conference list, and it'll give you all of them. Yep, you can find that list at comic-con.org. Peter, thank you so much for joining us again this month to uh, tell us what's going on with Comics Arts Conference and Comics in Education. Uh, We'll have you back on again real soon. Great, Stephen. Thanks. Thank you. That sure was an awesome interview. It was okay, yeah. I had a lot of fun. Peter's going to be back uh, next month. I'll give you a little preview of what we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks with Peter. Uh, Peter's an educator. I am an educator. Uh, Rodrigo plays around with students all the time with his LARPing and everything. But the one thing that I'm really keen on is comics in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And when Peter comes back next time, he's going to be talking about um, where you can take classes across the country that deal with comic books as either literature, uh, in movies, and other media, just whatever. So that that's what we're going to look forward to uh, next month. Nice. But until we get to that, we do have a big question that we need to ask people, Matthew. The Major Spoilers Poll of the Week! Poll of the Week! Brought to you yes. by listeners like you. Do, 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 do. Listeners like you! 
Thank I'm you. just going to write theme songs tonight. I'm I'm apparently hopped up on the goofball. <laughs> just one? <laughs> this time around, we're going with our recent, uh, the, the, basically the quintessential question of all comic book fans is, who'd win a fist fight? Uh, this time around, I believe the first time was Mole Man versus Hans Mole Man. Yep. What was it last week, Steve? It was uh, Cylon Centurion Cylon versus Omac. Omac, and I believe that the did the Omax have the edge on that. I believe the, the Omax won at the end. Man, if you if you can kill a Kryptonian, you can kill Grace Park, and that's what I said. That's just so um, sad, though. Why would you want to kill do? Grace Park? She's so cute. I don't want to kill her. A wrong verb, actually. But um, <laughs> so let's get this, into round three. Round three. Two guys with gray faces uh, in this corner, weighing in at seven hundred and seventy-five pounds. The son of the Eternals of the planet Titan. Thanos, and his, his opponent, the reigning heavyweight champion from the fire pits of Apocalypse. He is known as the Hunger Dog, the scion of Apocalypse. His friends call him Skippy. <laughs> Dark side. Dark side. This Dark is side. kind of a. This is the interesting matchup that I think is is real interesting because essentially these are each company's equivalents of one another. They, they really are more so than almost any other character. I mean. I bet when the Amalgam guys were going down the list, they're like, oh, well, okay, Thanos and Darkseid. Okay, right, right. Sense. Let's just set that aside and start worrying about who the hell we're going to mix with Ghost Rider. Yeah. And this is really, really hard for me. Really? Because I think, yeah, the, hands down, there's only one winner. Well, you have to look at it from a perspective, though. As, as the historian, the old dude, I look at it from the one perspective. You've got Thanos, who represents some of the best cosmic drama that Marvel ever had to offer. Mm -hmm. Jim Starlin's piece de resistance in Warlock was all about Thanos. And Thanos actually had some good star turns in the Infinity War, in the Infinity Gauntlet, in the Infinity Electric Boogaloo, in the, the Infinity Pants, whatever it was. He shows up I mean, in Annihilation, too, for a little bit, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Thanos, Thanos is one of those characters who's really grown past his origins as Dark Side Light. But then when you take that into account, you know, you have to look at the fact Dark Side has the power Kirby. He that was is true. He's created by Jack. He's got dots around his hands. He can destroy you wherever you are with his Omega Beams. And he's got a glove too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a rough choice, but I think I'm going to have to go with a uh, little blue miniskirt, Dark Side for the win. Simply because, no matter how wonderful Thanos is, to me, the original is going to be better. I'm going to agree with you, Dark Side all the way. Simply because of Omega Beams, mm. and that does that does make it a uh, a hard choice for me because those zigzag beams are pretty great. Yeah, I mean it's it's just so ridiculous, and that's really what I'm looking for is that ridiculous factor, but. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with Thanos, and I'll tell you why. Thanos is a romantic. He's a romantic? Okay. He's doing everything he's doing, well, in a, in a lot of storylines, and he has evolved past that a little bit. He's doing what he's doing for the love of a girl. For the and love that, of a girl? That girl happens to be death. The embodiment of death and destruction in the Marvel Universe, but... You know, I look past my wife's faults. <laughs> and, and you know, they, they like each other. And, you know, he all he wants to do is give her a big present, which is right. the destruction of the everything that exists. <laughs> so I can appreciate that. Because, you know, Annihilus, another big purple and green, you know, destroyer guy, he's just doing yeah. this for himself. Yeah. Thanos, 
He's doing it for love. All right. Well, apparently the uh, early votes agree with you, Rodrigo, because with 160 votes in, Thanos is leading the race 52% to Darkseid's 48%. Now, just since we've we've been recording the the tide is starting to shift more towards Thanos before we recorded. It was the 49, 51%, the closest race we've ever had. See. This is going to be up all week. People get over to the major spoiler site, vote on this poll. There's a reason why we're having all these little fight scenarios, not because DC and mortal Kombat are going to be duking <laughs> it out, but for another reason, a super secret reason. All right. Go ahead, Matthew. I want to see Scorpion and Superman fight just so that I can see Scorpion die horribly. I, you know, I saw the trailer to that and I don't, it's going to be, it's just a skin that they've put on the incompatible franchises. Yeah. Yeah. But all they have to really do is say kryptonite in the atmosphere. And I guess, you know, yeah. How does that stop the flash? See, uh, Uh, magic. Kryptonite. Kryptonite and uh, sandpaper thumbtacks. Thumbtacks everywhere. <laughs> okay, I'm not a big fan of My Chemical Romance. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't even tell you what their big hit song is that has all the girls going goo goo or gaga. I think it's, it's it's something called Dark Dark Darkness Within Me. Oh baby, is that what it is? I don't know. No. I, I I've heard their songs before, and I hear the kids talking about it all the time, uh, <laughs> but. When I heard that Gerard My Way... God, we're old. <laughs> yeah. Them kids, they like the, the chemical romance. Get off that, my uh... lawn, you rotten kids, with your Gerard Way comic books. But I was not a big fan. when I, As soon as I saw this, I said, there's no way that I'm going to be picking up the Umbrella Academy from Dark Horse in this, in this single-issue miniseries. Because to me, it just seemed... I don't know... It, I don't know. When I first saw it, I was just like, this is nothing that I'm interested in. And right. then people kept talking about it, and I saw some preview stuff, and then the trade came out, and I was like, okay, I'll give it a chance. I'm not going to be narrow-minded. I'm not just going to only follow my favorite uh, creator or creators. Right. Right. I'm going to give this a chance. And so I sat down with Gerard Way and Gabriel Boz, The Umbrella Academy, The Apocalypse Suite, and I was... Very surprised. I was somewhat pleasantly surprised myself. The, the the thing to me that really, that sold it for me, even before we decided that we were going to review it, Dion at Gatekeeper has a very simple formula about what he does and doesn't order. Okay. D- Dion looks at it, and Dion is, he's a comic guy, but he's not a comic guy. Yeah, he's like a business guy, right? Right. He reads his comics, and he loves his comics, but he also looks at it from the perspective of, who's going to buy this? Is it going to sell? And he ordered enough Umbrella Academy to cover orders, plus a couple, and that first issue just sold out. And then he upped his order. Do you think it was because of the the Gerard Way tie-in? I think part of it. I think the Gerard Way thing kind of gave it a little more... A visibility than yeah. it would if it was just you know a dark horse series by Jim K. Schmendrick, but when he ordered the trade paperback, I think he got either two or three of them, and they were gone. So I mean, it was one of those things where when Dion looks at something and and starts actually recognizing it and going, you know, this could sell. That's the point where sometimes I look at it and go, you know, maybe I should check this out if for no other reason so that I can tell Dion why he's wrong. <laughs> we're gonna have to get somebody from dark horse on because uh you know the same kind of theory with what 
Gerard Way's name on Umbrella Academy is the same thing with Buffy season eight and getting new people into the store that probably haven't been there before. Exactly. It's pulling on, uh, it's drawing on existing fan bases, but not are not comic bases. Yeah, exactly. And so how can you go ahead? They're, they're willing to look at comics as an art form and the Buffy fans are willing to look at the comics as a real extension of their universe. And the My Chemical Romance fans are coming in and going, hey, you know, I'm, I want to see what Gerard is writing. And there's nothing wrong with it being in comic book format. Right. And, you know, just the opening pages of this tale oh, about yeah. these these kids that were some were adopted, most were not. And here's this weird scientist guy trying to buy up as many babies as he can. Mm-hmm. There's a talking monkey, for gosh sakes. Yep. Anything with monkeys in it have got to sell. And in the first issue, they're in Paris fighting a, a giant Eiffel Tower. Yeah. They're fighting the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Yep. And it's... I don't... Go ahead. I don't know. We, we've mentioned Grant Morrison before, but I feel... All the way through this, I feel a very strong Grant Morrison. And I mean that in a good way. Grant Morrison, crazy Grant Morrison on Animal Man or Doom Patrol kind of vibe. It's a very well-crafted story Mm -hmm. all the way through. Yeah, and it's just epic. I mean, it really starts out there at the beginning where here are, I don't know, how many many kids are there? There's six of them? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, seven of them. Mm -hmm. Six of them are allowed to fight, but the the seventh girl is not because according to the professor – She's nothing, nothing special. special. Yeah. Right. And that, oh, how crushing could that be oh, for a man. kid to really mess you up years later? And that's kind of what kicks into this story. Because after you're done with the first issue, you jump ahead like 20 years to where yeah. these people are grown up and have lives. Some of them have uh, moved on and had a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got uh, others who are out uh I don't know, just generally causing mischief. Some of them can't be found. Uh, and then you've got uh, number one, and I guess they just go by their numbers. Who's Space Boy. Space Boy, who's living on the moon and whose head has been transplanted onto a giant ape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, gorilla. That is just totally awesome when you're reading this. And you get introduced to all these others. Well, at least one of them's dead, too. Right. Yeah. Number six is dead, I think. Yeah, the horror, I think. The horror, yeah. That's his code name. I uh, love the code names. The code names too. are fantastic. What is it? Space Boy, the Kraken, the Rumor, the Future. The Seance. The yeah. uh, what's the violin girl's name? Um, Isn't it just Violet? The Violet. Well, know. eventually she becomes the white violin. Right. That's right. I love that now. I love the costume. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And as often is the case in messed up dysfunctional families, the thing that brings you back is the death of a family member. In this case, it's their father, the professor, who the has monocle. died, the monocle. <laughs> and so they come back, and instantly that triggers the remaining members of the Umbrella Academy have to go and fight some robots rampaging at the carnival. Mm-hmm. And again, poor little number seven is told to stay back. Don't get involved, and, you know, this messes her up. I like Future Boy. That kid is one creepy little SOB. Oh, yeah. No, and and when you delve into his backstory, because he just shows up, and he's been gone for 20 years, and he looks exactly the same as he did when he disappeared. It is just, like, creepy as all get out once you start getting into what happened to him. Yeah, blast himself into the future. How about the mom? Ooh, that's pretty creepy, too. Yeah. Where she's just this, like... 
automaton. Yeah, dress. He's like he's like a dummy. mannequin. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, you know the girl that Van Vanya Vanna Vanna Vanya 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 Vanya. Since she really That's doesn't feel part of this family, she gets asked to come down and audition for this this group this group of mad scientists that are hell bent on destroying the world and they want her to join in. Mm -hmm. And since she's kind of turned her back on her family, she agrees to it. Yeah. Cause she feels her family turned their backs on her. I mean, she goes back after the initial proposal, she goes back to her family and even the, the lead bad guy, the conductor says, you know, is like, she turns them down. He's like, no, leave her alone. She's probably going to see her family, which is just going to end, which means she's going to end up back here. Yeah. And it comes true. You know, she goes to find them and they just chew her out. Right. Yeah. For never being around that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And she comes back and says, do it. And they just go to town on her. It's like they perform evil, wicked experiments on her body and turn her into this perfect musical instrument of destruction oh yeah and her first performance she just comes out plucks the string and blows the conductor up just essentially splits him in half and uh and then destroys everyone else and says hey i'm just going to do this myself and Mm -hmm. i've got the power now to do it and so the the remainder of the story is is very much let's defeat our sister who's gone insane and not really sister more like step well, not even stepsisters. Well, the the, the well, whole their the relationships between the characters yeah. are very weird. Yeah. Because they were they're not blood siblings, right. but they were raised as siblings. Right. But you can tell there's romances there between is, them. There is, especially the one that has the family with Space Boy. Mm-hmm. She's kinda like, I don't know what I want to do, and maybe I want to be with you, but I've got my own kids and Right. And the so it's, Space Boy and then Kraken and Vanya yeah. are kind of you know, there, there's there's something there. It's very uh, Brady Bunch, mm-hmm. you know? They're not blood-related either, and yeah. you know that there's <laughs> something going on. Yeah. There's a reason why they put Greg up in the attic, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys... Up. The thing that I found interesting in this story, we mentioned monkeys already, but I found there's really no explanation of why the monkeys are talking, why they are part of the society. Well, they, they do. They do explain it. It's the monocle. The monocle well, he, at one yeah, point there's just developed, this brief yeah, reference. there's just bam, and then all of a sudden, n- and not just the, the central monkey character who kind of right. gets the family back together, there's a part where there's a police investigation later, and there's a couple uh, chimpanzees Chimps that are on the, yeah, uh, in the police force. Yeah, and then and whenever you see Future Boy, mm-hmm. you, you're looking out of the mass destruction, and there are monkeys in yeah, business suits. and dead I'm, monkeys, just like there's dead people, yeah. There is a Bare Naked Lady song in here somewhere about... <laughs> about that. Postcards of chimpanzees, yeah. Yeah, I just found, that was just, to me, was just like that one little bit of the story that I was just like, you know, that's dang cool. I really, mm-hmm. that is just this little kick, because really, I guess when it boils down to it, the story in the Umbrella Academy is, I don't think, anything new. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that same, let's set up the villain to become the villain, and if you've watched movies, and how the villains get the good guy to turn bad it's it's very much like you right. know they're going to turn you down they're not going to like you nobody wants you come join our side i mean if you've seen hellboy 2 that is the uh the elf's main p- 
plea to, to Hellboy. Turn your back on humanity. They don't like you. They don't want you. I Join think that was us. That's the main plea in Hellboy 1, too, actually. Rusty yeah. is yeah. kind of trying to yeah. convince Hellboy about that. It's kind of an iconic theme too. It's almost archetypical. It's you you know, you've taken the odd the odd girl out or that character who's alienated. And in comics you'll see the character who gets alienated and goes all dark phoenix. But the thing that's interesting to me about this take is it doesn't feel like it's inspired by comic stories. It's mm. I, I agree with you that it's a plot and a story that we've seen before. But it doesn't feel like it's being shot through a prism of Chris Claremont. Or no, right, right. no. I mean, it's certainly its own story. Yeah. But I mean, it's. I mean, and there are some shocking moments, like when the oh, yeah. head monkey gets his brains blown out the back yeah. of his head, or when you're when it's revealed, you know, where the future boy has been and why mm-hmm. he's so messed up. And sp- all these kids are creepy. I gotta tell you, they are. Oh yeah. And that's I re- the the. the- atmosphere of the book is really good and just that yeah, these like characters the, are so messed up i like the balance between that weird kind of you know i don't want to say gothy but that that dark kind of off-brand indie music mentality that you might find it, in my chemical romance <laughs> well yeah but then it also balances with you know a very kind of hot, shiny happy silver age bits and pieces here mm. and there you know, there there are parts of it where I look at it and go, well, this, I mean, this feels like it's inspired by, you know, 1963 comics. Or this feels yeah. like it's mm-hmm. inspired by, you know, stories where everything was a bright and shiny future. Yeah. And it, it's a nice balance between the dark and the light. It, it feels a little more realistic than some comics in that there's not so much black and white. There's a lot of gray area. Mm-hmm. And I really like the fact that I did not see the ending coming. I di- I didn't either. I really didn't either, and that's what I think made it a fun read for oh, me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I also. What do you think of the art in this? I kind of love it. Um, Gabriel Ba is one of those guys who I don't read anything regularly. I mean, I always pick up Casanova and I look at the characters and the cover designs and go, "That's pretty awesome." Uh, hey, look, JLA, but. <laughs> Because, you know, I and I admit this, I'm kind of a superhero guy. Not necessarily mm-hmm. a big two guy. But I work, you know, with characters that I'm pretty familiar with. I like to give things a chance, but I've never really seen anything. There's no real comparison for me in that I look through it and I see bits of Steve Ditko and I see bits of Alex Toth and bits of, strangely enough, David Lloyd, the guy who did V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. But I can't look at it, and you know, it's it's an art style that you can't easily synthesize and take apart. And I really like that. It's it's a style that um, looks like it would be at home in an animated show, yeah, very easily. But is not quote unquote cartoony. It's got a real comic book sensibility to it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the action is very well. Uh, it's it's very explicit. You know, a lot of the time. Um, it's very easy to exaggerate things, I think, for a lot of artists, especially artists who have a more, um, what I want to say, a little bit more of an iconic look rather than a realistic look. Um, right. But this guy, you know, the the phases don't go crazy or right. anything like that. Everything maintains the universe's look right. the whole time. Yeah. And it's, it's really good. I really liked it. Yeah. And they do have the James Jean covers in there, which... I got to love being a Fables fan. Just beautiful, beautiful covers. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful. I don't know, and I'd have to go look. I know that there was a one-shot that came out after 
the miniseries ran. I don't know if there are plans to do anything else with Umbrella Academy except for selling merchandise uh, through Dark Horse. Um, You know, you've got an umbrella with the Umbrella Academy logo on it. Mm. Uh, But, man, if you guys have not read the Umbrella Academy and you were kind of like me, turned off because it was this... The My Chemical Romance. Yeah, because of that aspect, give it a chance. Absolutely. One of the the telling things for me is that um, uh, one of my agents at work, and I love saying that because I feel like the shadow. One of my agents (laughs) was telling me today that she, you know, she married a comic guy, but she's not a comic girl. Right. So it's all it's all new to her. And she'll, you know, look at Superman and go, I don't see what's so impressive about this. I don't like this story. Well, she would be right. Well, you know, up to a point. But hi, Allie. How you doing? That's two shout outs and two shows, by the way. In any case, she was telling me how much she loved this book and how, you know, it really spoke to her not being a comic person. And I love it when a comic draws people in who aren't necessarily the comic fans. It brings new people into our subculture and, you know, kind of opens it up from hopefully the fifty to 70,000 hardcore, you know, fat guy nerds like me and Steve. And then hey, those, wait those, a minute. Who are you calling a nerd? Hey! <laughs> but it, it, uh, you see women buying this book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't see a lot of women coming in specifically, hey, I want this title. This and, you know, like you mentioned, the Buffy and the Angels are bringing people, grown people, who look at comics and go, eh, you know, it's just another art form rather than, you know, being a comic person or being somebody who says funny books are for kids. Right. I think that this is the type of story that's really going to open up the industry, hopefully. And, you know, if we're going to go mainstream, if comics are ever going to go mainstream, we've got to do things like this. We've got to get, you know, superstar creators. We've got to get stories that are accessible to non-comics people. And that's why I think Dark Horse has tapped into something because they really understand that, hey, we can't keep finding the same 70,000 people to sell our wares to. Let's go find 100,000 people from somewhere else, or in the case of Buffy, maybe millions of other people. So I'm giving the Umbrella Academy, the Apocalypse Suite, uh, four and a half out of five stars. I'll give it four. I think it's a solid 100% four stars. Matthew? I'm going to lock down at four, too. It's a really excellent book, very much above average. Yeah. So check it out. Uh, you can get it up on Amazon. You can find it at your local comic book store. You might even be able to find it in the uh, back issue bins if you can get the whole series. My Chemical Romance, Gerard Way, Gabriel Ba, uh, The Umbrella Academy. And that's our trade paperback review of this week. And I think that pretty much wraps up the show. We want to thank you out there in listening land for joining us today. Please. Tell all your friends about the show. Tell all your friends, even if, if you don't have friends. <laughs> I think that's what some people are like, well, I don't have friends. I don't have anybody to tell. It doesn't tell matter. Strangers. Just, tell strangers. I mean, really, there's probably somebody in that comic book shop that's flipping through a magazine that you could just say, hey, uh, you like that? Guess what? That was talked about over at Majorspoilers.com, or they've talked about it on the podcast, and that person might go, well, what's a Major Spoilers? Well... Then you say Majorspoilers.com. Send them to the site. The more traffic, the more things we can do, the more contests we can put on, like this uh, uh, DK2 statue that we want everybody to uh, participate in. So uh, hit us up over on MySpace. We're trying to be social with uh, all you young kids. You can find us at (laughs) MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. Get off my lawn! (laughs) 
<laughs> We're meeting you halfway, you stinky kids. We're not on I'm, Facebook, but you can find me on Facebook. So there. I'm keeping this frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate everything that everyone's been doing. We love the great comments that are going on in the forums, the great discussions there, the comments that go on on the individual posts at the Majorspoilers.com website. If you have any comments questions suggestions somebody wrote to us uh, the other day and suggested that we get to ah crap what was the uh what was the book it's something that we have coming up mm-hmm. he said oh i'd really like for you guys to discuss this on the show and it's on the list so we are getting to that mm-hmm. uh if you just want to just gripe us out about something just send us an email podcast at majorspoilers.com and if you're a young single lady ladies rodrigo is single rodrigo <laughs> at majorspoilers.com Check us out. We know that you love comics, and we do too, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm gonna rearrange your face if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' They bring back Craven